What Barry Hall said is beyond the pale. It's vile, it's disgusting. It is just a horrible, horrible thing to have to listen to. It's so disrespectful to all women. Whether it's awkward or whether people are laughing embarrassingly or whether they're wholeheartedly going, yippee, this is a hilarious joke, it doesn't matter. The fact that they're actually not saying, I'm not entering into this, this is shocking, this is terrible. I mean, that is just extraordinary. It's the Parliament of Australia, Caro. It's extraordinary. Why are we paying these idiots? It is the most extraordinary depiction of a character who is comfortable in their own skin. This is such a compelling show. What makes me really grumpy is when you're trying to make a really big point on television and you're having a coughing attack. And that's what happened to me on Monday night. The director was very kind and found in his jean pocket a packet of Fisherman's Friends that he admitted were three months old, but he said they don't go off. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Welcome everyone to episode 44 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson and I'm here with my dear friend and fellow media analyst, because that's what we'll be doing this week, Corrie Perkin. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro. You've got your earnest voice on today. It's been a an amazing an week. <laughs> it's been an amazing week for the media, and it and it does always seem to happen in Melbourne. It's usually football related, although this week it's football, politics, and Logie related, TV related, which is the three of our favourite topics. Um, an unbelievable week. But first of all, let's start with some apologies. Um, I went to Peter Thompson's memorial last week and sat there shamefaced as I realised he never lost the British Open in the playoff, in a playoff. He won five. He came second five times, including um, on one occasion finishing second by one stroke to Bobby Locke. Thank you, Jeff Slattery, our dear friend and podcast listener, for pointing that AKA out to me. AKA total pedant. For pointing that out to me in no uncertain terms. Can you believe there was a, a period of about eight years where – Peter Thompson in his 20s and early 30s, I think it was, either came first or second in the British Open oh in a run of seven or eight years in a row. And those were the days before they had the big prize money. And your friend Ronald McDonald did him proud with an unbelievable speech at the memorial at the MCG. And what it, it was a, an insight into what sports people, certainly a lot of them used to be like. And the word humility just kept coming out again and again and again. But mm-hmm. we've had a lot of good correspondence this week, Corrie. We have, Caro. So Angelique Yanis on Facebook, hi Angelique, said, I'm holidaying in Greece right now and listening to the podcast each week on my morning walks. Hope Caro had a great holiday. You must be very hot, Angelique. <laughs> And then Jane Miller, who remember you were talking about how you used to I love wag, wag school and I love this. listen, watch Ivan Hutchinson's Midday Classic. Jane Miller said on Facebook, loved Caro's story about writing to Ivan Hutchinson. I also grew up with the Seven Midday movie and, like Caro, feigned illness on a couple of occasions so I could stay home from school and watch a particularly good one. He would not have been happy. Ivan and his movies were such a part of my childhood. Great memories of life before VCRs and DVRs. If you missed watching it on the day, it was gone, which is so true, isn't it? I suppose that's an excuse for staying at home, Jane. And Pam Kelton uh, said on Facebook, another fabulous podcast, ladies. I'm completely addicted to my weekly Don't Shoot the Messenger Fix. Listening to you in Switzerland at 3 a.m. while adjusting to local time. And I'd just like to shout out to the people I had dinner with. I went to a lovely dinner party on Saturday night. 
Is that going to be your recipe this it, week? You've um, insisted on resting back the recipe from me. <laughs> well, I thought I'd better do a savoury one because you've put me in the sweet camp the last few weeks. Yes, I am doing a recipe. No, not from the dinner party, but I'd like to just um, say to friends Penny and Peter, thanks for having us. And uh, it was just so lovely to walk into a room and have men, two men, say to me, oh, listen to your podcast, love it. And I know that we should just, uh, you know, not not we have no sort of demographic uh, breakdown of, of who who's listening to us out there. We have no idea really, but it's just so lovely to hear men start talking to you about uh, prawn pillows and uh, <laughs> you know coastal scrabble and. Ivan's midday movie classic that they used to wag. So, you know, hello to all the men who listen but to can, us. But next time you go to a dinner party, you can thank people privately. You don't have to do it publicly on the podcast, Corrie. I think that's a little bit naughty. Well, it saves me writing a thank you note. Well, your mother wouldn't have approved. <laughs> now, we should warn everyone just quickly that we are going to play some audio today that a lot of uh, mainstream media, including 3AW and Channel 9, where I work, have chosen not to play, and that is – the context, well, not all of the context, but the comment that Barry Hall made on Friday night of last week, the last Friday night in June, which I think will end his media career. I think it's a career-ending comment that he made. And it's one of those moments in radio, Corrie, that keeps on, doesn't keep on giving because it's just so horrifying. There's nothing giving about it. But the as you delve deeper into what actually happened and anyone who works in the media has some idea about dump buttons and seven-second delays and when Barry was actually removed from the broadcast and what the other panellists did, I think it becomes more and more disturbing about a culture that we just continue to need. And I know call-out is a complete cliche these days, but we need to continue to call out. Well, I think it's it's a great... Uh, so we are going to play it. Yeah, it is. I think, well, if, if we can't, honestly, to uh, one former and one current female football writer uh, who've been in the media a long time, if we can't actually play it on our podcast, who can? So anyway, that's a warning and a heads up. But we might get some correspondence about that decision next week, Cara, but we'll deal with the um, Brick Batsenberg case next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you a fair warning. There was also some pretty grubby stuff said on the Logies okay. on Sunday night. So my, oh, my, 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 shock, my shock of yesterday morning was uh, Monday morning, the day after the Logies, was when you said to me, oh, Brendan and I watched the Logies last night <laughs> while I was watching Judy Davis and Colin Freels on the other channel. And, well, we'd um, already seen we'd we'd binged on iView the week before to to overcome jet lag. Oh, so we'd seen the last episode of Mystery Road. Yeah, so well, just just quickly, like off top topic for a second, were you slightly disappointed by the ending, or did it live up to its full potential of the first couple of episodes? I think that was that's in our six quick questions, isn't it? Oh, is it? Okay, I'll so. keep that. We'll, for, I'll keep we'll that as a quick questions. One. <laughs> we'll I, talk about that. I still later. think Aaron Pedersen's an overactor, as good as he is. But let's Look, talk about the logies. Why did you watch it for a start? Well, because we got to the end of Grand Designs New Zealand, which I love, although not as much as I love Grand Designs UK, and we didn't really have anything to watch. And we were thinking, should we turn to Netflix? And we flicked around. Oh, the logies are on, and we turned it on just as Bert Newton had come up on stage and it was, you know, they really brought out some of the big guns to try and make this event a big event. They brought in some of the big guns. Oh, this is part of Bert Newton's speech. It was a Graham Kennedy award that he was dishing out. Let's have a listen. Graham Kennedy was always the sort of man uh, who nurtured uh, young talent. Uh, he uh, enjoyed giving young people a, a chance on television. He was a great mentor. He mentored a lot of young people. 
You knew that if he went to his dressing room and it was locked, he'd be inside doing some mentoring. (laughs) Don Lane was a mentor too. He did a hell of a lot of mentoring. Now, I'm afraid Bert's comments the following day that he was just having a bit of fun, he didn't mean anything untoward, just fell on deaf ears. I mean, that was a pretty grubby thing to say. And I, I know nothing to do with Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement. And But, you know, the, the, the impression that you immediately got was Graham Kennedy in his caravan or in his dressing room with some young performer yes. having sex with them. Yes, <laughs> and Don Lane. So, and sadly, Graham Kennedy has died. Yuck. Yuck. And but what are the families of these people? What what is Don Lane still with us? Uh, yes, he is. Yeah. So are his lawyers onto this? Oh, I think isn't he back over in America now? I don't think I don't think he sort of cares. Anyway, I'm not sure what's happened there. But this was the tone of the night. But why Excuse- are people laughing? Exactly. And then he moved into what everybody thought could have gone horribly wrong, which was a gag about Waleed Ali and his wife and about how she converted to Islam for him and how Patty converted when she married Bert. She um, started, I think it was something like... Started drinking. And got a TAB account, which was sort of a joke in himself because, of course, he had a serious gambling problem. But Waleed Ali's wife was a Muslim before they... Well, got together, wasn't she? Well, she, she did some form of conversion. It's her, didn't it's her she? conviction. It's her belief. It's not just because <laughs> Waleed. They sat there looking why incredibly is Bert, why is Bert, uncomfortable. Why is Bert presenting this award each well, year? Well, because he's one of the biggest names in television. It was he? He's got a big head. I was interviewed once by Bert on his morning show on Channel Ten, and. Oh, he's a, he was a great performer, an unbelievable comedian. I actually thought Bert was very, very talented. But you look at his head and it is – he is quite seriously – Oh, you mean literally he has a big head? Yeah, moon face. <laughs> he's not called moon face for nothing. John Longmire's got a big head too. I was, I was just watching starting him to think we better get lawyer coverage night. here. I thought you mentioned knocking. The, the night was, I felt, a shambles. Tony Martin did the voiceovers in and out of the breaks. And um, excuse my language, but it was a total piss take of the industry. It didn't take it seriously. Um, it started with who Dave host, Hughes. Who hosted it? Well, they don't ever have one particular host because they're too paranoid because they've had so many absolute debacles. I mean, you know, Wendy Harmer was a bit of a debacle. Oh, there have been so many. Oh, but who, you know, I've heard also that that each network wants to put up their own front man, and it is usually a front man. It's not always a woman. Um, that was one of the comments I, I read about Sunday Night's Logies, that it was very male-dominated. Well, actually, one of the things that did work was Julia Morris coming out and doing a little stand-up and then turning it into a musical routine, a la the Oscars. And you wouldn't have thought Julia Morris could pull it off, but she actually did, ending up with the song Gold. And it was great. And she changed costumes and that was really good. But Dave Hughes coming out and yelling at you. You know how he yells at you from the television? So you're being yelled at by Dave Hughes. You've got Shane Jacobson interviewing all the Gold Logie nominees and they're sending it up as well. Obviously, the really sad news is Jessica Murray had checked herself into a clinic, um, some rehabilitation clinic a few days before, one of the nominees. So that was pretty sad. So these are the nominees. There was Amanda Keller, Jessica Murray, Roger Corsa, Hawthorne fan, you'd like him, um, acting, those two. Tracy Grimshaw, who people thought might win it, or Amanda Keller. Grant Denyer and Andrew Winter. And the whole interview with Andrew Winter, who of course is on pay TV, who hosts um, I think it's Love It or List It. He's the presenter at Selling Houses Australia. He, No one had heard of him. And Who are these big, great people? And Grant Denyer doesn't even have a show anymore. Well, I know, and he won it. And he thanked 
the um, Tom, what's his name, Tom Gleeson, who basically ran a campaign the week leading up to the Logies to get him to win it. And it was like the year that Lisa McCune won and thanked that news agent out at some Bayside news agency. And all her parents were going and buying TV Week and voting And so some awards are serious and the Chaser guys who produced that brilliant show, The War on Waste, won an award and that was great. But even he in accepting his award said, you know, because we've gone through a lot of rubbish bins over the last year, we've picked up a lot of these and held up the Logie. Everybody made fun of the Logies and, and made it out. An, was there an import? You know how they always have a, an American import? Oh, a few um, overseas acts who I'd never heard of. No, it was just terrible, Corey. It was terrible. One commentator on the ABC website, Caro, said the Logies are ossified, the same jokes, the same importation of a bewildered, degrade American and the same pretense that this represents some kind of coup. So you know when uh, the, the announcement came out that they were moving the Logies from Melbourne to the Gold Coast and you and I were horrified and we actually mentioned it on the podcast. and we yeah, had a I'm bit still of a, horrified. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about the Logies. Are they still relevant? And I just wanted to revisit a couple of those points because it's they seem – even more salient today than they did six months ago. What should Australia do? Well, first of all, as I said the other time, I think they should have something like the Australian Screen Awards and it includes TV and film and Netflix and digital where your lovely son, Ned Donahue, could actually pick up an award for his work. But it don't, embraces the, a- but don't new... the AFI Awards do that? They well, have TV. Well, yeah, but well, maybe they should beef it up, and but maybe they should just call it screen rather than film so it's more embracing and it actually goes into the new digital space. And I think like the BAFTAs, they should have an exclusive dinner, not for 2,000 people or something, but maybe just four or 500. I love the way the BAFTAs do that. It feels very intimate and very... Everybody's very well behaved um, at the BAFTAs and they should probably hold it in February so they can celebrate the previous year's work. So it's really relevant and on song, not six months later. They should ditch the whole TV Week connection and all those stupid People's Choices Awards and they should have industry members like union members of various industry organisations, you know, people such as Film Victoria, Ausfilm, Screen Australia and so on, voting um, or from those groups, pick up key members who make up judging panels, like we do with the Quills, the Melbourne Press Club Awards. You know, three or four of the industry's greats will be Who's asked to be to part of a judging. Them, well, the, the Victorian government pulled the fu- pulled the pin on the funding. Well, the That's ne- why the, they're the not networks, in Victoria anymore. But it's a, it should work a bit like uh, it should work a bit like um, uh, you know the Quill Awards, whereby organisations uh, sponsor. And, you, you know, you, you can charge sponsorship on the night for ads because you're producing this fantastic television program. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's necessarily an, an economic loss. Mm. The Australian but, Football Media Awards, I managed to get a lot of sponsors with Mike Sheehan when we took over back in the early 2000s. And then the Herald Sun ultimately pulled out because they didn't win a couple of years. Channel 9 pulled out because the footy show didn't win one year. They all pulled funding. This is a very difficult thing to get up. But I agree about the, the people's choice element. There was some, I mean, Pamela Rabe and Hugo Weaving won awards and they should have. I mean, some of the awards were really important and so they should have. And in fact, I don't think either of those even turned up to accept their awards. So people made fun of them. I mean, it was, look, it is, it was a mess. Some bits were good, but my, I think it's simpler than that. If you're going to do it, celebrate it. And don't make fun of it all exactly night. Exactly right. Have, have a little bit of the good old Aussie cynicism, but don't make the whole thing it's an such entire a cr- It's take. such an example of cultural cringe, isn't it? So speaking of um, cringe, so on Friday night, just before the Western Bulldogs' great win, this happened 
on Triple M. I just vaguely set the scene. So Barry Hall had stepped in to fill in for Chris Judd, who's on leave. Um, it, the host. So Barry Hall is not normally. In no, it. no, no. And boy, oh boy, did a lot of people wish that that had changed. Um, Mark Howard was hosting. I think Nathan Brown was a panellist. Lee Montagna, whose wife is due to give birth to a child this week, was there. Damien Barrett was there. And this is what happened. Oh, what are you doing? You talk about your wife's sweep. Sweep. You know, the, the, the obstetrician just uh, has a little feel and makes sure that they're starting to dilate and puts a couple of fingers up and just oh, checks. Joey. Checks oh, the, Joey. It's, it's a procedure before birth, baby. Sorry. Joey was a bit disturbed because the, the doctor was a good-looking rooster. Yeah, he's not bad looking. About 40 years of age. Yeah. And he did the sweep with his fingers and then licked his fingers up. That's disturbing stuff. So the the raucous laughing is Nathan Brown, and there are a lot of people I work with in the media who work with Nathan Brown and like Nathan Brown and say he's doing it incredibly hard, and we're even you know wishing that we didn't play on Footy Classified that grab of Nathan Brown laughing and the Mark Howard leading him into this story and Lee Montagna making those initial comments about the gynecological sweep, but what Barry Hall said is beyond the pale. It, I mean, everybody said it. It's vile. It's disgusting. It is just a horrible, horrible thing to have to listen to. It's so disrespectful to all women. And it, it's it's just beyond my imagination also, how it even came into his head. Well, it's also disrespectful to the medical profession, don't you think? I mean, a membrane sweep is not uncommon. And, you know, in the, in the last week or two of a pregnancy, you know, or, or during labour, it's not uncommon. And the, these procedures are conducted by obstetricians, uh, men and women of, of immense regard. You know, people. I just my first feeling listening to that is my sympathies are with them. And then secondly, it's the boys' club thing all over again. It's like the and it's also just that people not getting it, like the Logies crowd laughing at Bert's jokes. And whether it's awkward or whether people are laughing embarrassingly or whether they're wholeheartedly going, yippee, this is a hilarious joke, it doesn't matter. The fact that they're actually not saying, I'm not, I'm not entering into this, this is shocking, this is terrible. But the production team also has to be admonished here because they set up this conversation because there was, I think the gag was going to continue. Oh, so it was all organised? Yep. Oh, yeah. my well, God, well, that makes it worse. The Barry Hall comments weren't organised. No, no, but, but, but the the... the the joke about Montagna's wife. Well, she was going to ring in, I think, half an hour later or an hour, some at some point during the pregame broadcast, and make say I'm going into labour. And now, to me, that is a gag that is fraught with risk in so many ways. Anything medical is fraught with risk, and I don't think it was a good idea. I certainly don't think when you're bringing in a new commentator. And Barry Hall's got form in this area. On RSN back in 2015, he made a joke. Um, there was a story in the media that week about a man who was in court having had sex with a horse. And he made a joke about it. And if you go through their old podcasts on RSN, you can't find it now. They've taken it down. But the people he was on air with were laughing uproariously as well. So this is not new. And this is not <clears throat> something that... This is something I should say that could have been completely avoided had they been smart enough to realise it wasn't funny. They didn't. And, you know, he made the comments at 6.08 and Triple M have made a big thing of the fact that they sacked him almost immediately. Well, it didn't happen. for He was on air for another 40 minutes for two more full segments. Barry Hall was on air. And what about the producer? Then he was removed. Well, they're, they're feeling 
very shamefaced and regretful. Okay, so Cara, why? I've asked them why the dump button wasn't pressed. Well, that's what I wanted to ask and you. And the, the answer so, is that they were in, they were, it was shock. They were shocked, too shocked. At the start of a season, a football season, doesn't everybody on air talent and also the production team get together and just say, look, in a situation where we have a crisis and issues management immediate as it happens, this is the policy, this is the rule. And if you are in shock or you are panicked, there needs to be somebody that a young producer, I'm not suggesting this person was young and inexperienced, whoever the producer may be, you can actually defer to someone super quick. Like, you know, what, what do I do because I don't feel comfortable here? Well, and you someone have seven, says, Get seven it off. seconds is quite a long time. And I've been in many situations where the dump button has been pressed. Um, so I don't think that's good enough for a, a high-powered… Who, who dictates that, Carol? Would it be like you waving to the panel operator saying, well, get the, that off? The, or, or do they make the call? Who Who's the editorial there's director There's someone here? back in the studio… There's someone at the ground, and that game I think was played at Eddie Head Stadium. There's someone in. There's an overseeing producer, and then there's also someone, the panel operator, who's sitting there running the panels. So there's several, there's several chains of command where something could have been done. But you know, and and Craig Hutchison defended the fact that he stayed on air for another 38 minutes last night, or the other night on Footy Classified, I should say. But. And and he said it's very hard in radio to get these things to happen quickly. Well, there were people there of enough authority to come in and say, well, that's what I mean. Yeah. On your bike, who, you're who, out. Do you, who do you defer to? You know, somebody should have called the panel operator, or the producer, immediately. There were senior, there were senior people there who oh. should have removed him immediately. Look, yes. there are just so many issues at this. And the laughing, me. I mean, the laughing, well, the laughing, the laughing kills me. And look, Michelle Laurie, the um, radio presenter and comedian. Uh, tweeted about this over the last couple of days and she said a couple of interesting points and and you know there's been a bit of a backlash against women overreacting you know the men are now saying oh women are overreacting and she said look for women instead of us rolling our eyes and thinking men are big dumb idiots um, Hall's comments present an opportunity for women to articulate why they are so rightfully offended and it's our opportunity to say this is why we don't like that joke and this is why it makes us uncomfortable so for anybody who's saying this is a media beat up or, you know, let's move on. No, let's use this movement in a way that America jumped all over the Harvey Weinstein thing. You know, these moments occur and they offer us an opportunity to have a forum of intelligent debate and not hysteria. It is, an example of a, it is an example of sexism that has occurred in a public space, being the media. We can't ignore it. The other question is why do men say these things in a public forum? Because they feel they can. Well, why the hell do they feel they can? For they me, don't feel they can everywhere, Corrie. Well, no, no, they, I know. I know not everywhere. This is, I, this, is a, this is a radio station with form as well. I mean, this is a culture where... This is the same radio where things station get said, where it was discussed that you should, your head should be put underwater and you should be held there. The, and, you know, which was nothing compared, I, I reckon, compared to this. There, there is a gang tackle mentality, a boys club, and I know people hate the word mentality, and some men have spoken out about it. Jimmy Bartell, a very recently retired AFL champion, was absolutely emphatic in his condemnation of what was said on Triple M and very few, and I'm disappointed to say very few male commentators I've worked with have been prepared to come out and smash it. And I'm really disappointed by that. Well, I think, I'm disappointed don't you think, don't you, sorry to interrupt. There aren't more Jimmy Bartels. Well, I was going to say, don't you think that's the way we do create change? Not just one brave media 
soul coming out and saying it, but three or four. Because then I think the boys will get get a sense of, well, we can't really get away with it. Well, no, it's not even that, that most of the people I work with are good people and are horrified by what was said. I mean, Matthew Lloyd and Lee Matthews, who I work with on Saturday on 3AW, clearly didn't like what was said, but they didn't say anything about it. Tim Lane and I discussed it and they just stayed out of it. I don't think it's because they thought it was okay. I think they felt uncomfortable even discussing what, it. What, for political reasons in well, case they get a gig on the network or no, I, no, because no. they're friends with some of the former players who said it? I think that they're colleagues with some of the people who said it. It's not good enough. Yeah, well, well, I think they should have been stronger. I, I think you have to call people out. Look, I was at a social function a couple of weeks ago and um, there were 10 people at the table and every, it's, a, it's an all-in sort of conversation, which was un, unusual for a group that size. And one bloke said something about, uh, um, oh, you know, women, women having the ability to go and spend the husband's money, right? Oh, women are lucky because they can just go and spend the husband's money. And there was a bit of nervous laughter and a couple of people thought it was rather hilarious. And I actually, I just instinctively said, I don't think that's entirely appropriate. Most of the women at this table actually work. And I have never asked my husband ever for money. And he looked a bit embarrassed. And Pete, my husband, said You have asked him to fix a foxtail. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Inappropriate gag. (laughs) I'm trying to be earnest here, but yes, I, that should have been my apology actually this week to sort of apologise that I took that public to Pete. But 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 Peter said to me later in the car, you know, I think probably you were a bit harsh there. I, I know what you meant, but I don't think that's the right forum. And I said, but when is the right forum? Like if women don't bring it up to men who, and this guy wasn't an old dinosaur, he was our age and he probably thought, oh, that was a bit of a dumb gag. And I don't blame him. I don't suddenly put him in the in the you know box of sexist asshole, but I did think it was important for me to say it. I think that's the thing when you feel that you need to say something, whether you're male or female, you should say it. So if Lee Matthews the other day on air felt that he should say something, say it. Well, because the more people who say it, like this is not appropriate, the more we'll create a safer environment for people to have these discussions without, you know, battle lines being drawn. Corey, I've been on footy trips. You know, I've been the, the one woman journo on a male footy trip. And there is an element of secret men's business and clothes shop about this. And gradually more and more women, and Neroli Meadows was working that night on the Triple M broadcast. But Who she, is she? She's a broadcaster. She works on Fox Footy. She's a footy commentator and she also works on Triple M. She wasn't in the studio at the time and I think she was down chasing an interview. I'm told that she didn't have her headphones on so she was not part of this. But as women move more and more into the mainstream footy media and there are now now a lot of women working in the media, there is still an element of closed shop about it in that there are certain things they just feel – I think it's an offshoot of what goes on the field stays on the field, what goes on the trip stays on the trip. There are certain things that they're just not prepared to discuss. And I know that on Footy Classified, for example, on Monday night, everybody was feeling sick for Nathan Brown because they work with him on Channel 9, they've worked with him on radio, they've been on footy trips with him, he's one of the boys' gang, you know, he's really trying to turn himself into a serious commentator, blah, blah, blah. And no one else was prepared to say that him laughing in, in an up, almost encouraged Barry Hall. So did and, you bring it up to the group? Yeah, I did. Unfortunately, I had a bit of a coughing attack, so we'll talk about that later. But yeah, of course I did, and I played it and I made my point. And Craig, of course, played the straight bat of the defender. And I don't – I mean, 
he was probably someone who runs a media organisation now and, you know, there but the grace of God go I, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact remains, and, you know, he's, it was difficult for him when the Gary Lyon scandal broke and it was difficult for all of us on Footy Classified, but everybody thought that might change the dynamic of the Triple M Boys Club because, of course, Gary left and since then James Brayshaw's left. Gary's now at Fox Footy. James is now at Channel 7. They're both rebuilding their careers at other networks. Well, hopefully not. And doing take, very well. Hopefully not taking their boy or culture elsewhere. Well, no, and I'm not saying. Oh, that, I reckon. I think Gary would have had Gary would have had the brains to tell someone to dump that. I really think he would have. Caro, earlier this year, Harvard Business Review, which is actually a great little magazine, um, I suggest people subscribe to it if they're interested in such things. Um, a, a Professor Michael Kimmel, who's a US academic, uh, wrote earlier this year that he had started doing a lot of work with corporations on how to handle the whole hashtag Me Too thing, and he says here because. This is what we know. It might be too scary for one guy to risk marginalisation by speaking up, even though failing to do the right thing will make him ashamed later. But when two guys call out sexism, that opens space for more men to chime in. And the behaviour that makes women feel uncomfortable and alone might stop right there. I'm a real believer of that. Yeah, I think think that's true. And also Miss Jane, our producer, made an interesting point. She said, you know, here at Croc Media, where we're doing our podcast, for example, they do have women producers and women panel operators and so on, and this hasn't occurred. So I think even having a woman in the room sometimes might make the difference. Well, I just think, I mean, had Nerily Meadows been in that conversation, I hate to think how she would have felt. I think just to articulate it, this is a a gynecological procedure that is a deeply personal thing and something that you discuss with your partner and maybe your mother and pretty much no one else unless it's a really, really close friend. And to trivialise it on air, as Lee Montagna did, and, and everyone's saying that Lee Montagna's inexperienced and they're sort of making excuses for him on in that area. And oh, corporations, train up your guys, train up your on-air talent to learn the they ramifications never have, They should actions. never have allowed him to go into that what conversation if, if, if he was inexperienced. But I'm just trying to explain why we're – that's why we're so offended by it because it's so deeply personal. And as I said, it's a medical procedure that is – something that women would feel uncomfortable talking about to no one outside their inner, inner, inner sanctum. And here are a group of blokes turning it into an act of some form of sexual assault. That is why I think in the end we all felt so sick about it. And if I was Lee Montagna's wife's obstetrician, I'd be furious. Well, I mean, we haven't heard much from Lee Montagna, although I'm told that his other network, Fox, have spoken to him in pretty severe terms. Caro, Sexism and, sec- and inappropriate comments seem to be just in the news this week, as you said earlier. Sarah Hansen Young of the Greens um, has oh, called about that. <laughs> She's now threatening legal legal action over uh, Senator Lionhelm's comments last week. So, just for those who haven't caught up with the news, last week in the Senate, um, Sarah Hansen Young accused Liberal Democrat David Lionhelm of telling her during a debate in Parliament to quote, stop shagging men, unquote. And this all came about because uh, one, a crossbencher, Fraser Anning, um, suggested that there be a relaxation on the importation restrictions on pepper sprays to allow women to better protect themselves. And um, so this comment was yelled out as the debate was um, going on and, and Sarah Hansen-Young was talking about women and their safety and so on. So David Leonhelms yelled out, stop shagging men. 
And Sarah was so appalled that when proceedings, when there was a break in proceedings, she walked over to the senator and confronted him directly and asked whether she had heard him correctly. And the South Australian senator said, you know, yes. And Senator Hanson Young said, well, I told him that he was a creep and he then told me to F off. So... So and she was so shocked. She then actually wrote, take, for, wrote a piece in the Guardian about it. She decided. Aren't some people taking her to task for actually exposing this because what goes on tour stays on tour. Well, they are. Goes, I mean, that is just extraordinary. It's the Parliament of Australia, Carol. It's extraordinary. <laughs> what on earth? Why are we paying these idiots? How on, how dare he say that to so, her? So, and Senator Lionhelm's defence or response to the ABC was that um, Senator Hanson Young had interjected and had said something along the lines of "all men are rapists." And then he responded, this is in his words, by suggesting that if this was the case, she should stop shagging men. And he said, I did not yell at her and he would not withdraw his remarks. So here's the interesting thing. And I wonder whether the whole Donald Trump culture has something to do with this. Did she actually say all men are rapists? No, no. She says that she did not say that. So, and why would she? I mean, she's a sensible woman. No one says that, even in the heat of battle. But in this whole kind of Donald Trump era, it's okay to be a creep. It's okay to say creepy things because I think Senator Leonhelm now thinks that there are going to be a segment of the popu- the population who actually agree with him I don't and think that he might blame. harness some votes. We can't blame Donald Trump for this. Oh, it, <laughs> blaming him for a lot oh, of bad behaviour in the, the world. The Australian Parliament is, can be a, a pretty disgusting place. So anyway, this continued on and uh, there was an interview uh, on Sky News um, where – uh, it was suggested that Senator Hanson Young was known for liking men and, quote, rumours about her in Parliament are well known. What so, does that mean? <laughs> what rumours? So the producer, in their wisdom at the, on this show on the, on the weekend, has, you know how they have like a little ticker tape thing down the bottom of the screen saying what the highlights of the, in case you're an idiot and you can't actually follow the conversation. They'll give you the, the, the kind of main points in a ticker tape sort of thing. The producer has put these comments underneath. Well, the producer has been um, dealt with. <laughs> um, Sky, Sky News, the program involved, um, they've all been reprimanded. And Senator Hanson Young is now um, confirming that she is seeking legal action. And letters have been written to Senator Leonhelm, Sky News, and 3AW Radio, on which he also made the remarks on the weekend. And she has said, as a woman, a sister and a mother, I will continue to stand up and I will not be intimidated or bullied by offensive and sexist slurs. So this has just gone from sort of bad to worse to absolutely shocking. Well, the AFL are calling it their, um, the um, Australian Parliament's um, uh, Barry Hall moment. Oh, and, well, it, well it, it does have the media fallout too, doesn't it? I mean, that, that was extraordinary what happened on Sky. I mean, but, how, how does a professional media organisation allow that to happen? And, but what is, what is sort of... Um, Kind of affirming, I guess, in a funny sort of way, Caro, is that there's a group, a gang called AidChange.org, and they started a petition calling on Qantas to dump Sky News from the screens of its lounges and planes, uh, you know, as, as a sort of a protest against this um, for the interview on the weekend. And they already have nearly 5,000 signatures. They only started this yesterday. Well, good on it. Keep going, Sarah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Now, did you read the Mark Thompson interview in the Herald Sun on Monday? I did indeed. This is but a... only after you suggested that I do because I don't go anywhere near Bomber Thompson stuff at the moment. I just find it all too it's, appalling. Um, and you know, we spoke a few weeks ago. You about... better tell Potties the backstory of Mark Thompson. Oh, well, I think people know that Mark Thompson, the former AFL 
Premiership captain and two-time Premiership coach of Geelong is facing serious drug trafficking and possession charges. He's basically, his fall from grace has been an unbelievable story. He has been quite public during this story. He worked both on 3AW and Fox Footy during what was a difficult year in which a lot of people who worked with him, including me, thought he turned up for work occasionally looking pretty dishevelled. And um, he also, apart from the money he made in footy, made a lot of money out of a Geelong property deal or wider Geelong property deal. And it's very difficult to know why someone like that would end up allegedly trafficking drugs and it's only alleged at the moment and he's only been charged yeah, he's at the facing moment. seven drug related charges but um you know we spoke about Rob Doyle some time ago and my view is that if he has any way out of his problem I don't think he can ever be a public figure again in terms of serving the public in an elected role but I do think that Rob Doyle had great success despite some really poor behavior on some of the boards he sat on and I think if he had any way of resurrecting himself, a tell-all interview would be the way to do it. And, and he, hasn't been, he hasn't been charged with any criminal charges, so no, he just very need, different to If Mark he put Tom. his hand up and apologised and tried to explain his behaviour, whether he related it to drinking or some other psychological problem, I think people would be interested to hear that. But Mark Thompson is given an in-depth interview to Mick – well, not in-depth. He's done an interview with Mick Warner where he's answered a few questions, hasn't addressed – anything to do with the drugs, hasn't addressed anything to do with his financial issues, has basically just spoken again about how the Essendon crisis sent him into a tailspin and how he's still too angry and he can't get over it, how it ended his second marriage, how he was in a really bad space when he left Geelong and how psychologically he's in a really bad space. Now, why was none of this in his book that we sold two years ago, by the way? Oh, he did talk about depression, but he didn't talk about this low. No, I know. Well, it's, it makes it's you funny, somewhat suspicious. Well, you feel sorry for ghostwriters, don't you? I mean, I remember Ian Thorpe's ghostwriter tried to um, ask him about whether he was gay and he said he wasn't and he wrote a chapter in the book about it. Well, it just means the book becomes completely irrelevant. Mm. No one's no – one, You can't take it seriously anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're not prepared Which, and I'm, to – And I'm not, not saying that Mark Thompson hasn't suffered depression, you know. I'm sure this has been a really tough time and I have immense sympathy on one level for him. But, facing some serious drug but, trafficking but, but, charges, but to Corey. do But to do an interview where you play the depression card, to me, just seems really trumped up and I'm a bit suspicious of all of that. Well, I just think he, he unfortunately takes some small responsibility for what went on at Essendon, but not nearly enough, and he continues to blame other people. And I just think until he puts his hand up in a more meaningful way... He's got absolutely no hope. I'm glad his family are rallying around, his first wife and his children, and his son's apparently been incredibly supportive. But I just don't think now is the time to talk, Mark. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, you know, is any publicity good publicity? And I would argue that sometimes any publicity is good publicity. You just have to manage it very carefully. <coughs> but I don't think him doing an interview like this when he is still to face court and the, and the case is to proceed. I don't think it's such a great idea. Well, really. you can't, unless you get the whole story, why read one small microcosm of the story? Now, it's time for BSF, Corrie, and you've taken over most of it, but I'm going to kick it off. You've got a book. I've or you've it got in. an author. I'm, we're resurrecting Mary Stewart at the moment. I know I mentioned her because of my Greek travels. Yeah, and is she dead? I yes. meant to ask you last yeah, week. I think she died about... Oh, she, she died in the 2000s, maybe about five years ago. 
he I always put her in the category of Elizabeth Jane Howard and Ruma Gordon and he, Mary Wesley, all those lovely English writers. He he was um he's a fascinating woman, um very well educated, took a degree in English, um lectured at the Engli- at an English department, I think in Durham, where she came from, and then she married um F. H. Stewart, who became the Regius Professor of Geology at Edinburgh University, and she moved there. Edinburgh, a place close to your heart. When you go there on your travels, you need to investigate Mary Stewart. She early in her marriage, she had an ectopic pregnancy and was then unable to have children. The couple was unable to have children, and it was only nine years after they got married that she published her first novel, Madam Will You Talk? And she's famous for her trilogy um, about the, it's set in Arthurian times. And she's also famous for a lot of her sort of romantic mysteries, most of them set in glamorous parts of the world, usually around Europe. So what's the difference between her and a Mills and Boone writer? Oh. So she's quite literary, lovely turn of phrase. beautiful, beautiful writer, beautiful writer and underrated writer and – Yes, I suppose. I suppose Elizabeth Jane Howard is slightly different, maybe a bit more racy. She's a bit more dated, Mary Stewart. So I picked up um, in Greece the um, this rough magic, which is set in sort of early sixties in Corfu, a beautiful villa in Corfu, mysterious. Shakespearean actor renting the old family pile up on the top of the hill with his son, enigmatic son, and there's an equally enigmatic and very affable seemingly photographer, nature photographer, living in the house on the other point, and there's this beautiful dolphin. I mean, it sounds so dated, but it is fantastic. This one is not, all... not a mobile phone in sight. Oh, 1964. This is an earlier one. It's called Nine Coaches Waiting. And this is set in a beautiful part of France. And it's a, a girl who was brought up in France. She becomes orphaned. when it, the, These girls are always orphaned. The parents are killed in a plane crash. She spends nine years of her, seven years of her life in an orphanage, goes and works at a boys' school and is seconded to France by this incredibly wealthy family to look after the young Comte. Um, there's, I think there's three brothers, there's several chateaus. He moves to this beautiful chateau where there's an enigmatic uncle and his equally enigmatic lots of enig- French wife. Lots of enigmatics there. There's a lot of enigma in Mary Stewart. <laughs> but this one, um, you just go, the people, this doesn't happen anymore. English orphans don't sort of get seconded to a beautiful, to a beautiful chateau and end no, up They're meeting. usually abused in some shocking there's, pile of rubble in outer Manchester. There's usually a, glo- a gorgeous man who is he or isn't he the murderer? There's a, there is murder in Mary Stewart, so they're murder mysteries. But the unraveling is there, there's always a really dramatic sort of a dramatic sort of twenty thirty pages towards the end. The Moonspinners is her most famous, which of course became a movie with Hayley Mills. But she's a wonderful author, and I highly recommend so Carol, this rough I... magic. And I recommend Nine Coaches Waiting. I just uh, I, I wonder with these wonderful synopses of her stories, why we haven't seen her more um, as adapted for television or film. You mentioned the Hayley Mills film, but. It doesn't. It sounds to me like a perfect, you know, Sunday night four part oh, BBC. This, this rough magic would be brilliant. I mean, they've started to do those dated novels, haven't they? I mean, we know that we've, they've resurrected Poldark, but I think that would be a great idea. The The Crystal Cave was the first of the Arthurian um, trilogies, but I think the ones. Oh, oh, my recommendation would be 
an early GLT, read Mary Stewart when you're travelling, particularly in Europe and particularly in Greece. I would read This Rough Magic or The Moon Spinners. But this one would be the French one, well, Nine Cara, Coaches sadly, Waiting. probably only overseas is where you can buy Mary Stewart. So after you mentioned her last week, I went back to the bookshop and did a bit of investigating. You actually can't buy her locally through local distributors. So I put in an order from one of our international um, d- distribution companies and I've bought in three or four titles, which will be arriving in the next week or two. But she's really hard to find in Australia. So I suggest, Potty, go to your local library or if you if you are or someone you know is in London perhaps, go to one of those big stores like Waterstones or um, what's that? Hatchards. Hatchards, yeah, and just fossick around there and you'll probably find a few old Mary Stewarts. But hard to come by, Mary. Caro... I am doing Screen this week and I want to talk about this new Netflix – no, it's not Netflix, it's Stan – series called Billions. Series 3 is now streaming. It just came on board. You've got to watch this. Uh, Billions. Billions. It does bring out a slightly sort of aggressive um, element in one, I have to say, because the people in this show are pretty determined and pretty aggressive themselves. So it's set in New York. And there are two key characters, two of the most powerful men in New York. You know Paul Giametti, that wonderful actor that we yes. loved from... Um, oh, that looks was... a bit like Jake Nile. <laughs> he does. Would the... Jake be happy with that? What was the first one we saw? Oh, he was with the vineyard, the tour of the vineyards. Yes, and there was the other one when he... he um, does a, he also played John Adams too. There was the a, American sing, President. a singing one, which all... Oh, anyway, go on, go what on. was that one about the vineyard tour? He was having yeah. a collapse, a mental collapse. Set in California. Yeah, in the Napa Valley. Oh, God, out of my head that Anyway, one. tell us about Billion. Okay, so the, so there's Paul Giametti and he plays um, the prosecutor, the head prosecutor in the New York uh, Department of Justice. And Damien Lewis plays a guy called Bobby Axelrod, which I thought was a totally made-up name until I started reading um, a, <laughs> the um, new memoir by one of Barack Obama's advisors. And apparently one of the brains trust between, behind Barack Obama's first election campaign was a chap called Axelrod. So it is a real – you know how sometimes American surnames sound yep. like yep. like some – you know, let's just cut a few letters out of this name and a few letters out of that name and join them together. You know, it's just <laughs> – And they're real. Like Vanderbilt. You know, like there are some of these sort of weird names. Anyway. So Damien Lewis from um, the Foresight Saga. Yeah, that's right. And he also – Damien Lewis also played um, Henry VIII in Wolf Hall as well. Um, but He's at the centre – so, things, so yeah. the US attorney, his name is Chuck Rhodes, played by Paul, and he's trying to bring down hedge fund manager Bobby Axelrod, by Damien, who's played by Damien, Damien Lewis. And this is just – Wall Street is their battleground. And so in the third series, we watch as Bobby is desperately trying to save his company while he faces the prospect of a long court case and probable uh, jail term. And meanwhile, Chuck, who you think is, you know, pure than the driven snow, we discovered in season two that he was actually doing deals with the devil, firstly to get Axe into court and secondly to try and secure himself the governorship of New York City. So he is not squeaky clean either. 
But the thing that um, that makes billions what it is, and it's something that Jared Waitley talked about a couple of weeks ago when he was our guest podster on Don't uh, Don't Shoot the Messenger. Jared was talking about a comedy on television, and he said, you know, the key to this was this sort of outstanding ensemble cast. Well, Billions has an outstanding ensemble cast, even though the two chief actors really drive the action. There are a couple of characters that just make this this zing, and one is Wendy Rhodes, who is Chuck's wife, who actually works for Axelrod. She's a, a, a corporate psychologist, and they have been friends for years since before Axe had the money. So, of course, there's all this kind of competing force um, going on within Wendy and the marriage and so on, and they have a bit of a marriage breakdown at some point. And she, Wendy Rhodes is played by Maggie Siff, who is a really fabulous actor. And then there is another amazing character um, called... Um, played by David Constable and he's Mike or Wags Wagner and Wags is Axelrod's 2IC. He's the henchman. He's the man who does all the really weird stuff. But another actor I'd like to mention is Asia Kate Dillon and she plays Taylor who is uh, a young up-and-coming analyst working for Axe Capital and she is a non-binary analyst. That's what they call her. But really there's just – she has no gender. He, she has no gender. So – it is the most extraordinary depiction of a character who is comfortable in their own skin. You don't know. For the first couple of episodes, you're going, is that a boy or is that a girl? It's never actually determined. But she is, he, she is brilliant with the figures and the numbers. This is such a compelling show. I really urge people to um, get onto Stan and have a look at Billions. Great program. Um, it, it is exhausting and there is a lot of violence and there is a lot of swearing so you are a bit exhausted maybe just one or two episodes a night don't binge because you'll start talking like axe it, it, <laughs> which, which i i was the, doing with my accountant the, the other poor day, giamatti is, movie set in the californian um the napa valley was sideways ah uh, that's and, right and the other one i think we saw together was when he um and it it involved Gwyneth Paltrow and there was that wonderful singing scene, duets. Yes. And yes, he was in that. That's but right. My, but my favourite. Um, who sang Frankie Goes to Hollywood? Yeah. Anyway, and the, the, the one, my favourite Paul Giamatti film, and I don't know if I saw it with you, it's called Barney's Version. No, not with me. Oh, it's a great film. It's Did... got Dustin Hoffman and Minnie Driver and that beautiful Rosamund Pike, who's apparently a pain in the neck. Fellow actor told me, but she's absolutely gorgeous, and I love her acting. That I would highly recommend Barney's version. Opens in Rome, ends in Canada. Did you ever watch him in the John Quincy Adams long series? No, I mean, it was but, rather bleak and depressing. But his acting performance was amazing. He he scored heaps of awards. He's such a great actor. Um, now, our dear friend and Greater Western Sydney recruiter Emma Quayle, my former age colleague, says we have to watch Feud. Have you tried Feud, Feud yet? That's another one that. I, I don't know whether whether it's on Netflix or I don't think it's on iView, but Feud is her big recommendation. Potties, we love your tips too on any uh, Netflix, Stan, free-to-air, movies, anything. So keep all your um, correspondence coming. On to food, Caro. And yes. you said the other day, whatever happened to my um, savoury girl? Because yes. I'd given two recipes back-to-back of nice little biscuits. So I'm back on the savoury trail here. And I was actually inspired um, to give you this recipe by our little drinks uh, on Sunday night with husbands and um, friends, a couple of friends. And uh, I thought because it was Sunday night and the footy was on and people were probably just going home to have soup, I'd do something a bit more than a bar snack. So I just cooked a little bit of I fill it. And you I thin- did. I thinly sliced the ciabatta, which I brushed with olive oil, Mr. Cobram's, 
and a little sea salt on the top. And I slow roasted some tomatoes and washed the dirt off the rocket and got some mustard and horseradish and we had little tiny pass around um, steak sandwiches, I suppose you'd call them. They were beautiful. The tomatoes were one of the, 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 the fact that you didn't overcook the, I feel it was obviously one big tick and it was almost like crunchy fairy bread. The, yeah. The, you've got to cook it with oil. You've got to dress it with oil and put a little bit of salt on the bread. I think that just makes it really tickety-boo. And the tomatoes, yeah, were absolutely beautiful. But I didn't see any chips, Corrie. No. You're calling well, it mini steak and chips. Well, when I was doing this, the, the when I was whizzing this up before you came around on Sunday night, I was thinking of a wedding that I went to last year in the country. And you may have been to an event where Tommy Collins has done the catering, Melbourne Company. Yep. Hasn't been around all that long, but gee, they do a good function. Yeah, he's and fantastic. So there was a bit of a country feel to it. And there was a lot of praise, not so much a sit down and have an entree, but there was lots of sort of hearty praise being t- passed around. And the absolute like one that everybody went to, went went for, was this piece of eye fillet, a fine piece of eye fillet wrapped around a half a dozen little French fries with a bit of mustard and a little bit of lettuce oh, inside. Wouldn't the chips go mushy? No, because they were crisp and crunchy and yummy and they had to be served pretty quickly for the heat purposes. But each little bundle was only four or five centimetres long. So if you can imagine an asparagus roll, but instead of... The, the bread, um, beca- the eye fillet becomes the, the bread, bread and, the, and chips the chips become the asparagus. Correct, Amondo. Mm. And as a friend of ours who used to... Who's Did per- it work? It was absolutely outstanding. I mean, you can just imagine everybody had the munchies and we'd said no to the prawn and no to this and that. And But at the minute this came out, everybody just jumped in. I mean, who could resist? But it looked really pretty as well. So... I think that was a good good tip. And another good tip was given to me years ago, a mutual friend of ours whose parents used to own a couple of flash um, French restaurants in the city. She she once told me that when she would have a dinner party, I was there once and she had amazing French fries. I said, how do you cook your French fries? Are they frozen? What are they? She said, no, you go down to McDonald's and you just reheat them. Yep. That's Isn't exactly that a great right. tip? Well, we used to do it for our Good Friday lunches. It's you'd do such all this amazing tip. fish and you'd, you'd cook entire snappers and stuff them and you'd be, you know, deep frying um, flathead and beer batter and the chips were always like an afterthought. So one year we had the idea of you. Yeah, I, I think maybe I got the idea from you. Yeah, I'd, I had You don't complete... reheat them. You just buy them just before lunch is <laughs> But it, it's funny nice how these recipes that you got 20 or 30 years ago, all these ideas, all these tips, they are completely dormant in your head. So all of this was flashing back to me as I was, you know, preparing our little steak sandwich the other night. So I just thought I'd share that really uh, fattening. Um, <laughs> well, it wasn't really. It was beautiful. With, with, it wasn't, um, and you didn't serve the chips. But I like the wrapping around idea. I think it sounds a little bit messy, but I'll take your word for it. Very quickly, the other guy who did the duet on duets is Huey Lewis. Yeah. Yep. Huey Lewis and the News. Yeah, oh, just, it, didn't he do Frankie Goes to Hollywood? No, maybe not. No, you've got the – it was Huey, it was Huey yeah. Lewis. He and played her father. He sang with um, Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. It was yeah. a good voice. It was a, it was a very good film. Now, Corrie, I mentioned this earlier, but – it's cold season and I have come from a hot climate to a cold climate, complete first world problem. But what makes me really grumpy is when you're trying to make a really big point on television and you're having a coughing attack. And that's what happened to me on Monday night. Oh, How embarrassing. And one of the- On one, air. The director was very kind and found in his jean pocket a packet of Fisherman's Friends that he admitted were three months old, but he said they don't go off. And he, he opened the packet. There was half a Fisherman's Friend left. <laughs> What had eaten the other half? Well, it's just broken. I mean, you can't actually talk on TV while you're sucking on a fisherman's friend. Trust me, good local tip. 
You also. So, so was this at the point that you were about to talk? With, I had, make philosophical and important comments about the Barry Hall. Well, we'd, we'd played the sort of response from the blokes, and you know, a lot of people were uncomfortable about me playing that, so I wasn't going to get any support from anyone else in the vicinity. Craig was very, Craig Hutchison was very emphatic that he needed to at least put forward the difficulty Triple M faced in that difficult situation. So he was allowed to sort of run away with it. Kane Corns was filling in for Chris Yard, happily a far better fill in on Channel 9 than Barry Hall was on Triple M. And he didn't have a huge amount to say about it, which is fair enough. I mean, it was his first time this year on Classified. Matthew had made one comment but wasn't really going to talk about Nathan Brown and all those blokes. It just he didn't feel comfortable talking Friend, about that. Friendship group. And he he feels very deeply he knows how hard Nathan Brown is can doing. I, can it. I just ask he before, feels very deeply before I hear him. about your coughing attack, what what was Hutchie's point in defence of um Triple M or why is it so difficult to turn the off in, button? Until you've off, been oh because on? Well, you know, he, he more defended the fact that they kept him on air for another 38 minutes or 40 minutes. He said, oh, it's more difficult than you think making these decisions, chain of command. In my experience in radio, I don't think that's right. And there's a lot of things I would have said if I hadn't been half choking to death at the time and trying to move. And I can hear the director saying, camera away from Caro, camera away from Caro. <laughs> and I'm sort of spluttering. Oh, it was terrible. And were you crying? You know how when you cried? Yeah, my eyes tears. were watering, oh. everything. Oh, there goes makeup. Everything. Oh, the makeup girl had to come. It was a disaster. So it they was, went to an ad break and were you able to then pick up and resume the I, conversation? I didn't speak for the first few minutes of the next segment, which was largely tactical footy stuff anyway, but I did have a few comments I wanted to make. I was too scared and I had to deliver the arrow in the next segment. So I was trying to, oh, look, <laughs> so sabarkle, grumpy, grumpy, grumpy so of the can, highest order. So it's just, one of those, and I wanted to say this, and I wanted to say that. And then you become the shrill woman in the room, not exactly. you specifically, but women can sometimes. Yep. Yep. So, Caro, do you feel that you've got it all off your chest today on Don't Shoot the Messenger? If there's I'm, anything you'd like to go over. Thank heavens for Don't Shoot the Messenger. Time for six quick questions. Now, I when I saw Ross Poldark take his top off again on Sunday night, but not quite get into the Saturday water. Night. Saturday night. But not quite get into the water because he saw his doctor mate coming out of the water. And he, Who was and, also rather handy on the ice. Yes, and the show opens, this series opens with Ross emerging from the Cornish Sea, from the, or what, it's the, the Atlantic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. From the Atlantic. It reminded me of Colin Firth. and Who was sexier coming out of the water? Remember that scene yeah, I, well, in Pride yeah, and Prejudice? Yeah, absolutely, out of the family lake. Who was the sexiest swimmer, Ross or Mr. Darcy? Well, I haven't seen. I haven't, as you know, I've I haven't caught up with the new Paul Duck. So three I have two weeks old. Or three. I have. Well, how many do I have to I've watch? I've been overseas and I've caught up. <laughs> Come on. No, I haven't got to it yet. Well, I've had a bit of a busy time, but I'm looking forward to a wet weekend where I can indulge. But I d- have seen in previous um, series Ross Paul Duck emerge from the. He does a lot of swimming in that cold Atlantic. Yes, braver man than I am. Ross. Do you think that's a a script thing, well, it's artistic com- license. <laughs> it is completely to get the heartbeats of women like you and I popping over, over, over what would be medically responsible. Look, I have to say, Caro, I'm a Mr. Darcy Colin Firth fan, and when he comes out of that, and Lizzie Bennett's there visiting, not expecting to be sprung, visiting with her aunt and uncle, the home of Darcy and he emerges from that lake and they both look at each other, the frisson, and she just strips him with her eyeballs. I'm with Mr Darcy. That scene where 
Lizzie saves Mr. Darcy's sister when she's playing the piano, when the someone makes an unfortunate remark about her previous unfortunate attachment with Mr. Wickham, and she goes, Lizzie goes and helps from the piano. The look that Mr. Darcy gives her, oh, heavens to Betsy. Um, your turn. Okay, so who is the luckiest footballer in the AFL right now, Caro? That's easy, Corrie. Jordan Degoe, very talented young Collingwood player, 22-year-old. Early pre-season last year, he got involved in a fight at a pub and got a serious arm injury, lied to the coach about the fact that he'd been out drinking and gotten a fight, lied about how he got the injury and was in a lot of trouble. This year, he was on a drink driving charge. He was suspended by the club. The fact that they put off his contract negotiations because of his bad behaviour and his suspension meant that he became a hot property with other clubs because he started playing good footy when he came back. And North Melbourne offered him $5 million over five years because they're desperate to get in some talent. He's knocked it back. He's signed a much richer uh, contract with Collingwood than he previously would have. Very lucky boy. Stars are shining over him. What is Operation Castle Dove? This is a bit of a sad operation, actually, Caro. So on Thursday last week, the Queen had to cancel an appointment at St Paul's Cathedral Cathedral because she wasn't feeling well. And a few days later, according to the UK media, the British government and ministers and civil servants went into a bit of a meltdown because they realised that they'd never actually seriously discussed plans for mourning. So they've termed this castle Operation Castle Dove when the monarch inevitably passes away. And so the plans for this have all started to, I'm sure, you know, the Prince of Wales and I'm sure the Queen herself. I mean, the Queen Mother organised her state funeral two years before she actually I'm staggered that the British Parliament didn't have contingency plans. Well, the government. Yeah, look, I'm a bit too. But anyway, this is the story coming out of the UK this weekend. So it is anticipated that the Queen will lie in state in Westminster Hall for 10 days so well-wishers can pay their respects that the actual notification of her death will be a simple notice pinned to the gates of Buckingham Palace and the Privy Council will then formally meet to announce the accession of her heir, who is currently Prince Charles. And then the new king will go on a tour of the United Kingdom visiting Scotland and Wales, obviously to just reassure the nation that you are in good hands. Um, it's not so, like they don't know him, let's face it. So every, 70 years he's been. Anyway, it's a long time to be lady-in-waiting. But um, there's, there is, of course, no suggestion that the Queen is you know, suffering a major medical problem or she's on her way out, but that's what Operation Castle Dove is all about. Now, Caro, why did Quinine ruin your Scrabble game on Sunday morning? Oh, aren't you the smarty pants? You beat me in Scrabble. You got the dollar. Well done. Quinine, a seven-letter word with a Q on triple letter score and quinine on a triple word score. And all my seven letters out. So you got the bonus 50. I think you actually – no, I don't know if, if the Q was on a triple. I blasted I was you on a into oblivion, Caro. Blasted you I was doing oblivion. really well and I still only lost five. It was well. a high-scoring game but you got – 95 points. points. 100 points. Was it 100, was yes, it? Or I, wrote, I wrote it on my phone so we could talk about That's right. It. <laughs> I, mean, it was, I think it might have been even 102. Anyway, quinine, which is mainly known for – um, being an ingredient of gin, which is another topic close, <laughs> close to our hearts. <laughs> and it was a bit – and you even had the temerity to ask me how to spell it just because you weren't quite sure that you got it over the line. Well, you know when you're looking at your letters and you shuffle them around and all of a sudden you're hoping, is that the right spelling? What if it's not? Oh, it's Well to done ask. to you, Thanks Corrie. Thanks for that. 
So um, Princess Diana would have been 57 this week. It's her birthday coming up. Um, Just I want to hear your most memorable photograph. Oh, well, look, there are a couple, Cara, but the first one would obviously be before um, when it was rumoured that she was seeing the Prince of Wales and she was the kindergarten teacher and some very clever Fleet Street photographer got her to stand with the sun behind her and the legs, the silhouette. The frock was almost not there and this fabulous pair of legs and she's holding one of the nursery children. But I have to say that the most, um, the, the one that has affected me the most, and I'm just going to show you on my screen here. Sorry, Potties, you can't see Oh, the see Mario it. Testino. Yes. That, so he did this photo oh, spread for that, Vanity Fair in 1995, a couple of years before uh, Diana died, for Vanity Fair. And it was a feature story. Diana Reborn was the headline, and it was a feature story on her life after, you know, the royal family. Um, but the key to it were, were these sort of spread of photographs. So I would definitely be saying that, Caro. The one where she's sort of lying, you've just shown me, lying down, looking towards the camera. Yeah, and all arms, that, that, that classic. under her chin. And the classic eyeliner, and she's had a, a shorter, groovier haircut, and she's wearing amazing um, evening wear. So you can see, potties can see that actually on the internet. Now, Carol, who's your crush of the week? Tony Peake. Tony Peake was made a life member of the AFL last week. That is a huge honour for an administrator who's never played the game. Well deserved. Yeah, and look, he's, he's a, a, a dear man, well known to both of us. He's never changed. He started out as a Sun journo. In the 70s, he was a stalwart of Victorian baseball for many, many years and worked for them briefly. He, he went on to run the media for Tennis Australia. He then he ended he up... He was re- huge in baseball, yeah. Yes, he, so he ended up replacing Mike Sheehan at the AFL. Believe it or not, Mike was briefly the AFL media manager. Um, he has become... An, he's been an AFL executive now since the, oh, I think the mid-1990s. He ended up being the executive who was the assistant to the CEO. Now, when Andrew Dimitriou left, he, he, he did that job for Wayne Jackson. He did it for Andrew Dimitriou. When Gillan McLaughlin took over, people wondered whether, with Gillan's very different style, Tony would still be there. He's been so required by the AFL. People talk about his corporate memory, his conscience. So loyal. His love of the Sydney Swans and his championing of that team. There was a function for him last Thursday at the AFL where he's not well and he'll finish work this year. His entire immediate family were there, including his gorgeous wife Anne and his daughter Amy and his son Matthew. Um, He made a wonderful speech. Um, Michael Long flew down from Darwin. Of course, when the Michael Long when Michael Long took on the AFL over on-field racism, it was Tony Peake who interviewed a key group of AFL Indigenous players and set about creating Australian sports' first vilification policy. He also had to speak to all the women after those two St Kilda players were charged. Well, they were never charged, but they were... Allegations of rape. They, they, they were sexual mm. assault. Yep, that's right. He spoke to the women after Andrew Demetrius asked any woman who felt they'd been violated in any way or offended against in any way. So sad to think that the Barry Hall thing has happened now, all those years after 2004. It just seems so long ago. But anyway, he's my crush of the week. I wish him... I just hope he's around for a long, long time. I wish him a really happy retirement. I agree with you. At one stage, he was my boss when I was editing the football record. Well, that wouldn't have been much fun because he can be grumpy. (laughs) Grumpy and scary. But a man of um, and a man of few words, but well chosen ones. Very wise, huge corporate memory, and incredibly loyal to his uh, to his colleagues and also to his organisation. Caro, I have a GLT, 
And my GLT is this. If you have a toddler or a baby who refuses to go to sleep, just play on your iPhone Brian Eno's Ambient One, which he, which he created in 2013, a.k.a. Sleep. And this goes for six hours. And it's part Gregorian inspired. It sounds a bit like you're in a spa salon. You don't have time to listen to something for six hours. No, but well, I have actually, because one day I was so grumpy and miserable in the bookshop and a bit short and snappy. Barry, my colleague, put this on. He had it on his Spotify and he put this on and said it would calm me down. Six hours later, we were still listening to it. So I, I love. You, were you calm? <laughs> I was so chilled. But people were coming in saying, "Oh, it's like going to a spa centre." <laughs> oh wow! But, but okay. the other night, but the other night, Naughty Harriet was. Um, I had to take her. I had to take her porticot out of Francesca's room and bring her into mine for a sleepover because the mother who is pregnant was wanting sleep. So Hats came in and slept with me, and she was just poking her head over the porticot, looking at me like a little devil. And I put this music on, and she just picked up the bunny, laid down. I looked at her 15 minutes later. Her eyes were still open, but she was in a trance. So this is the thing. Brian Eno's Ambient One. It goes for six hours. It's a no-brainer. Wow. There you go. That would be good for jet lag, I reckon. It is beautiful. Which I didn't have this time, interestingly. If you were in an aeroplane too, Caro, and you wanted to just get rid of the buzz of the, you know, you wanted something gentle to go to sleep with and you wanted to get rid of the buzz of the engine noise, just pop that in your ears. Corrie, this has been a fascinating episode. Let's hope a bit there of an are more, earnest one today. There are Carol. more cheerful topics next week. Before I close off, I just want to mention Doreen Fernie, who told a lovely story about her granddaughter, hearing her mention on the podcast, and also Sinead Wise, who sends her best from Hyannis, Massachusetts, and says two and a half weeks is not nearly enough to have on holidays. She left Melbourne in March. Sinead, get back to Australia. You're having far too long a holiday. Thanks, everyone, for listening and also for all that feedback. If you like our podcast, you can rate us via Apple Podcasts and also Facebook. It does help others find out about the show or even better, personally recommend us to a friend. You might enjoy listening to us. Give us your thoughts, ideas, feedback via the Facebook page or Twitter on Twitter or via email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au or leave us a note via Caro and Corrie. That's our Instagram page. Thank you to our wonderful producer, Miss Jane Neal. Did Jane write this? No, she didn't. I did. I thought it was time that we just said hello, Jane. The other thing, Carol, we should say is if anybody would like to sponsor Don't Shoot the Messenger, we're up for it. So contact Jane Neal at Croc Media. And we should mention again, Jane says that camellias are like stone fruit. You get so excited about them coming into flower and then after a little while you get really sick of them. Well, I will never get sick of the beautiful pink, almost variegated camellias that Jane has placed in front of us today. Thank you, Jane. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger.